from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, a land-grant, space-grant, R1 research institution. Learn more at wvu.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. On the legislature today, we'll get updates on gun legislation, a renewable energy bill, and more. But first, the Senate has passed its version of a state budget for next year. Dave Mistich spoke earlier today to the Senate Finance Chair, Craig Blair of Berkeley County, and committee minority member, William Elenfeld of Ohio County. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Uh, I want to start with the revenue report for February that your office released today, Chairman Blair. It appears the numbers were higher than estimates for the past month. State was about $1.6 million above those estimates for February. If you would break that down for us, where are we faring well and where are we struggling? All right. Uh, well, our preliminary collections for the month was just almost $300 million, but, and we were up $1.68 uh, for the month over the estimate. Uh, of our sales and use tax, the insurance tax and the corporate net all exceeded the monthly revenue estimates. Uh, sales and use was $5.2 million, insurance was $3.9 million above estimate, and the corporate net was $5.2 million above estimate. But we're going to go on to the, what I've went over and over, and that is, is the severance tax roller coaster that we seem to get on in this state. Uh, the severance tax collections were $26.2 million, but it was $7.4 million below the revenue estimates. Right. And that's because cost of coal and natural gas are, are down. And then the personal income tax collections was uh, $7.8 million below estimate as well, and that's got to do with part of the pipeline and the time of the year of construction goes down and things like that, so that has a bearing on it as well. Uh, I think we're still tracking fairly well for the year. Uh, right now we stand at uh, just a little bit under $19 million below estimate for the year. Right. That's manageable uh, from, from this standpoint. We'd rather be ahead. But you have to also keep in mind that our budget was predicated on a larger revenue that we had last year too. And uh, I, I, I'm not overly really fond of that, but we have a strong governor in this state. Governorship is what I should be saying. So he sets the revenue estimates, adjusts them up and down and all that. So that's where we're at. Right. You mentioned that $19 million deficit seven months into the fiscal year. Does that situation play any role in putting a budget together for the upcoming fiscal year? Well, the only thing it has to, a bearing on is the surplus section. Uh, that, that lots of times that we'll put something into this year's budget and it has everything to do with the surplus on last the, the, the year that we're finishing up and if there's money left over it comes out half of it goes to the rainy day fund half of it does the surplus right uh, or it can all go to rainy day or be supplemented out and that's one of the things that has taken place in the past we did some supplements out last year for instance we supplemented out and we had the third largest contribution to the rainy day fund that we ever had uh, so the, the money's being managed wisely to a greater degree of on this of and it's all worked together 
the, with the minority, the majority, and the governor's office, and I'll have to give the, the cabinet secretaries that I've been working with, the agency heads is maybe a better way of putting it, has done a good job of working with us and of trying to find efficiencies. We're always looking for those efficiencies in government so that we can do more for less for the people of West Virginia. Senator Elenfeld, what's your take on the, the current budget picture? The revenue numbers, like I said, $19 million deficit seven months into this year. What's your take uh, on things? Well, I agree with Senator Blair. I wish it was looking a little bit better than, than it does right now. And, and looking forward, looking into the out years, the next five years or so, uh, things look to be somewhat gloomy when it comes to the budget in West Virginia. And we've got so many needs, uh, whether it's with seniors, whether it's with public employees, whether it's helping foster foster children and uh, so many needs in West Virginia and just not enough revenue to keep up with it all. And and he's right. We have a roller coaster and that severance tax is a big part of it. Uh, I wish things were brighter. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, but uh, he has a great staff. Senator Blair has a great staff. They do. They work very hard behind the scenes to make all of the numbers work. And we have to work with what we've got. And hopefully someday that picture will be become a little bit brighter. Right. Uh, and, and you mentioned the out years. There's there's been some concern uh, not just this upcoming fiscal, this current fiscal year, the upcoming fiscal year, but years down the road that we're talking about bigger and bigger deficits as things roll along. Uh, you know, looking into the future, what are you what are you seeing, Chairman Blair? Well, it's hard to predict that. I don't pay too much attention to these six year uh, numbers out into the future. They can, numbers can be manipulated and they get manipulated. You know, when we had uh, last year, when we had the, uh, the almost five hundred million dollars. Uh, an extra revenue. Well, that's book. Didn't, we didn't come in with that prediction of that happening. It, it comes back to the severance tax roller coaster. If you've got coal and natural gas and oil where those numbers are up, we pull in a larger number on that. Uh, when you've got the, the, we, the two natural gas pipelines that are in the court system right now, right. rather than working uh, uh, or being built, that hurts the numbers to the employment side and also the sales tax collection because lots of times there's people that are living in hotels or campers and they're spending money in the state of West Virginia. But when they're gone, gas can be actually moving through those pipelines and that gives us an opportunity for greater sales tax collections as well. So I, I'm an advocate. I want these two gas lines in operation. And then when you look at all the, our abilities to get gas out of the state, uh, we're, we're coming up to where we're hitting the ceiling on that. We need to put in place uh, the ability to, to uh, have businesses that utilize that and make an end product uh, with it for the petrochemical industry on that because otherwise we're not going to be able to get gas in the drilling in this state which is really slowed down to begin with, will get even slower from that standpoint. So we've got to be able to utilize the resources that we have. Right. I want to get into the specifics of the Senate's version of the budget. Um, I understand that this year that's going to be the vehicle, so to speak. You know, the House, I believe, is going to strike and insert. Door. Right. The House is going to do their strike and insert tomorrow. Um, and then it's going to come back over here. And But you're, the Senate Bill 150 is the vehicle, so to speak. Um, one of the things that struck me right off the bat is that you guys are going uh, project or created a budget below the governor's revenue estimates. You know, what is the governor being too optimistic in looking into this? And it's not by much. It's a few million dollars, I understand. But is the governor being too optimistic as far as the future here? Well, when we in finance committee started our budget and everything, I started out with probably a 60 million dollar cushion. Then it got down to 40 and 30, then it was 14, and I ended up with $666,000 and some odd 
and something like that. I right. didn't like that number, by the way. <laughs> but, but it is what it is on that. But it's, it, we're, it's still too early to pay too much attention to that. But we wanted to have uh, a cushion in there because of the fact that the governor did give us a budget that didn't have a penny to spare in it. So you could not do improvements, for instance, like foster care or of, the, of intermediate or court of appeals. There's a whole host of things that are in the pipeline. You've got to be able to have that cushion in place, either on the House side or the Senate side. It makes right. no difference on that. And, and we've done that. That's one of the reasons why I went in and did IDD waiver, uh, and I called a lot of grief over that. Uh, but I wanted that $10 million back and have an opportunity to uh, to that we could come back in and backfill it into there, but we needed some cushion to be able to take care of the improvements that both the minority and the majority that passed out of the Senate. Look, I never even looked, and he's been back and seen the board back here. I don't look to see who's, whether it's a minority bill or a majority bill, it's whether it's a good idea or not. Right. And uh, then I do everything I can to make it so that those bills get across the finish line because we're the Senate. And, and your take on, on this, this you know, Senate version that came out of committee that's now, uh, that was amended over the weekend. What's, what's your um, understanding of how, how'd that shape up in your eyes? Well, I think there's some things in there that don't need to be in there, and specifically the Intermediate Court of Appeals. That's not something that I'm an advocate for. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's, think it's expensive, and I think it's something uh, where we could take those dollars and use them someplace else. Uh, for the categories that I mentioned before, our seniors, they need so much when it comes to nutrition, transportation, getting to health care appointments. Uh, I'd like to do more with the trauma-informed approach in the elementary schools, but, but that's one thing in particular that I wish wasn't in the budget. I wish we could move those dollars and use them elsewhere. Right. And, and you mentioned that Intermediate Court of Appeals. You offered an amendment that would open that bill up to, to, to criminal cases, to criminal proceedings. That did not fly on the Senate side, but it did over the weekend in House Judiciary. Yeah. When that bill comes back, I mean, presumably that would cost more money. Am I, am I wrong? I mean... <laughs> or am I right? I mean, what's your take? I mean, yeah, it, it will cost more money with that being part of that system. I don't know exactly how much more, but it will cost more. I'm still opposed to the concept. I think it's better, though, with the criminal piece being added to it. I, I'm the one who argued for that on the Senate floor unsuccessfully, as you noted. But I do think if we're going to have an intermediate court, it ought to be available to all citizens or as many citizens as possible. And when you add in that criminal component, it becomes available to many more people. The, the, the money factor in opening that up to criminal proceedings, what's, what's your take? And as the finance chairman, well, how is that going to play into the future? I don't want criminal proceedings to stay in it. Uh, I disagree with my colleague when it comes to the Intermediate Court of Appeals. And the reason for it is, is it's what we've talked about earlier, the severance tax roller coaster that we seem to be on. Look, I'm from the, 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 the manufacturing and the small business side of in business. We need to, and it fits with people like myself and the people of West Virginia, we need to get manufacturing jobs where we take raw materials and turn them into a sellable product. That helps take us off that roller coaster. But one of the things that business looks for uh, amongst taxes and everything else is the court system, the predictability of the court system. And the Intermediate Court of Appeals gives, it, it does at first glance give the appearance that there's another layer in government. But also what it does is it makes it so that uh, businesses can actually, that provides case law so businesses can go and look at the case law on that rather than having them reviewed 
But, and we actually have an appeals court right now. The Supreme Court does that. But it, and this gentleman here is the lawyer. I'm not. Uh, I'm a plumber and electrician. Uh, but it makes it so that there, it brings a, a level of predictability in. And above all else, it puts a checkmark box next to one of the things that businesses that would be looking to come to West Virginia or expand in West Virginia, it makes it so that it is more plausible and it's a more predictable court system for them. Saves them money in the long run. Right. Uh, and you had also mentioned, you know, prior to this conversation on intermediate courts, the IDD waiver. Uh, my understanding is that there's $109 million set aside to, to eliminate that wait list. Uh, again, this is uh, for people with intellectual developmental disabilities. You were gonna, you were gonna interject. You, you said 109. Yeah, yeah, I believe 90. 109. I believe is that correct? Okay, it, it is 109 right now. Now, uh, and we started out with 89 million, just right. a little bit over that, and then we added the governor added 20, and I took it down 10, right, and then we amended it back up to put that in there to move through. Right, but the governor, he made that statement, of course, and you said you caught it a little bit of grief. Did, did his statement sway you to, to, be, to get the that? The governor's out? statement didn't sway me. Uh, it was the, what to members of the Senate. Uh, for, look, if the members of the Senate want this done, then I have to work along with that. I right. don't run a dictatorship up there. I think my colleague will testify to that. Right. And so if the members of the Senate want this added back in there, then I have to do that, and then I've got to go and find the resources somewhere else. But at that point in time, remember we were talking about that cushion? I actually had a $14 million cushion at that given point in time. So we put it back in, then it went down to $4 million, and there was a couple other things in those amendments as well. Uh, but that's why I started out with the cushion and worked my way out. Now, there is another aspect of this. If we put $20 million into that, I am going to be a hawk. And we're going to look over the next year on this. Did we eliminate the wait list? Did we grow the wait list? Are we t are taking care of people that are moving in from outside the state? Are there efficiencies to be had on this? Are there waivers, waivers that we could get from the federal government? Right. right now, there is no means testing for it. So you could be actually a millionaire and be on this wait list or currently in the system and be getting up to $140,000 a year, even though you're wealthy. Now, I have a problem with that, uh, and so there's things, but, but that's federally mandated. So we've got to go back and keep our eyes on this, and I did this with uh, last year on just a simple million dollars on Telestroke, made sure we followed the money. If we're going to do improvements, I tried to follow this money. It wasn't done in the past that way, and we're trying to do that now so that we know that when we come back to the Senate and we talk amongst ourselves about what's going on, that I can say to them, look, we followed it throughout the year on what's going on, and now we can tell you whether this is good or whether that's bad, and that helps us into the future. We right. need to be fiscal hawks, making sure that our tax dollars go as far as we possibly can. Really quickly, would you support some sort of, it sounds like you're calling for an audit of some sorts on, on those. Would you support, you know, keeping an eye on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad that the money's going to be there. That was a promise that was made by the governor at the very beginning of this session. It's something that the Senate wants to do, and we should keep a close eye on it. We need to make sure we're being efficient with those dollars. So absolutely. Right. We just got uh, less than a minute left. Uh, I understand that, you know, the past couple years you've got a budget done in six 60 days. 
I understand that that's been your mission year after year. Are we are we in shape to get that done? Uh, obviously, we're probably going to see a conference committee with this, like we do every year, of course. Yeah, there, there, there will be the ability to have a conference committee, uh, and I'm, I always set it up and try to get the committee chairs to work with the finance committee to get the stuff in in time so that we can work through the budget early and get done before the 60-day session ends. But make no mistake about it that uh, I won't compromise the Senate positions on some things. And, uh, and if we got to go to day 61, 62, 63, so be it. But that is not the goal. The goal is to get it done in the 60-day session, and uh, I think we'll get there. Given that, 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 uh, that idea of trying to get done in 60 days, but also looking you know, into the future, what's, uh, you know, very quickly, your priorities coming into these budget talks? you know, at the, at, towards the end of the session? Well, we want to get it done in 60 days, too, talking about being efficient with taxpayer dollars. We don't want to spend extra days here in Charleston. That costs taxpayer money. So we want to get it done, and I think we can. I think we're to the point right now where we're very close to, to getting it all accomplished, and we should be able to do it in 60 days. I hope we can. Right. Any top priorities as this winds down? Well, I mean, some things that we're not going to be able to do this year, but hopefully going forward, uh, including a cost of living adjustment for our retirees. Uh, they have been working on that same nickel for the past 20 years. We need to increase that money, and we're not going to do it this year, but I hope we can do that in the future. Great. Senator William Elenfeld of Ohio County, Senator Craig Blair, Chairman of the Senate Finance Committee uh, of Berkeley County. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Mountaineer Challenge Academy. Before we hang up, Mountaineer Challenge Academy is something I think we both agree on. Mm -hmm on this, the second one of those is a, a necessity, and that, that's one of the things that I'll hold the line on for this budget. We'll keep that in mind. Thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, Dave. Joining me now are Dave Mistich and Emily Allen. Welcome to the two of you on day 55 of the session. Great. Dave, I just want to um, follow up on what uh, Senator Blair said, the Mountaineer Challenge Academy. This is a quasi-military alternative education program for at-risk youth 16 to 18. We have uh, a facility at Camp Dawson. Right. The, the governor in his budget and in the Senate budget uh, um, supplies uh, enough money, appropriates enough money for a second facility in Fayette County. Right. Uh, and we heard the senator going to the mat because it's not in the House budget. That's right, it's not. So, uh, and if it, it's interesting to hear Senator Blair talk about, you know, a priority like that um, being in the budget, uh, at least drawing a line for that. As you mentioned, it's not in the House version of the budget. I believe the governor has made this proposal before. There's been some talks about putting this uh, in Montgomery, the former um, WVU Tech campus uh, there in Montgomery. But um, of, of all the proposals, I, I found it interesting at the very end of that conversation that that was the one priority he made a point to stick in there. So There, there are some other differences, too. The Jobs and Hope program, right. that's the recovery are for folks in recovery, a training program to get them back into right. uh, the workforce. So both the House and Senate versions of the budget have cut about $10.5 million, I believe, and that's scattered amongst different line items in the budget, but uh, in total about $10.5 million. Uh, there's some cuts to the the first lady's priority this community and schools um, over in the house or actually over here in the senate i believe um, but uh, you know as as this strike and insert comes in the house and then gets sent back over the senate um, they're likely to reject the house's proposal and then we'll see as these conferees move on uh, who has the upper hand so to speak 
uh, in these negotiations between the two chambers. Okay, and that'll happen tomorrow in the House. Right. Thank you so much. Uh, Emily, in the House today, um, Senate Bill 96, this is gun rights legislation. What happened with that? Yeah, um, so a little bit of history on Saturday. There was an amendment sort of made and then, um, so there's an amendment, um, I guess, okay, so backing up, this bill has come up in several sessions, um, or, you know, some sort of thing. It, it basically just protects your gun rights. And um, it would pr it would prohibit mu municipalities from, um, from, from uh, curtailing the use or the carry of, of um, weapons, if you have a permit, say at a fair or some other public event. Yep, so the Judiciary Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, when they got this bill, um, they saw that um, there was something about festivals and they thought of, you know, events like Festival here in Charleston or Art Fest. Um, and they, you know, just kind of figured there's alcohol present, will, you know, give counties, municipalities the option to bar this if they want. Um, Delegate Dean Jeffries on Saturday tried to propose an amendment revoking that. Um, it, it worked out very narrowly, and so the previous version of this bill before the House Judiciary Committee was restored, um, and municipalities are no longer allowed to bar, according to this legislation if it passes, um, that kind of carry at these kinds of events. Do we have a clip? We do, yes. Um, we're going to be hearing from <laughs> Delegate John Schott. What was really noticeable about this um, is that he is the chair of the Judiciary Committee, so originally he recommended passing this bill. Um, and he took that back after this amendment was made, and then you'll hear from Delegate Dean Jeffries. Uh, both are Republicans. Shaw is from Mercer County, and Jeffries is from Kanawha County. The bill before you is the result of what I consider deceitful bait-and-switch tactics, which uh, certainly offend me. It may not offend you, but ordinarily at this point in the presentation and the explanation of a bill, the person making the explanation urges passage of the bill. I cannot in good conscience encourage this kind of tactics. I won't be here next year, but I won't do anything in my final days to cause this type of tactics to be reinforced in any way. So therefore, I do not, I do not encourage, pass, encourage passage of this bill. I will be voting red, and I encourage you to follow your own conscience. Just because you have a permit does not take evil intent out of your heart. And just because we say you can't carry a gun in a fair festival situation does not keep you from renting a hotel room and firing shots down into this fair festival. You're mistaken by that. It's the intent of somebody's evil in their heart that does that, not a permit. Uh, something else I want to talk about is the uh, solar energy bill. Uh, this is uh, Senate Bill 583. It went through the Senate relatively easy, but things are always a little tougher in the House. Tell us about it. Yeah, um, so the bill basically would, it would create a framework in the Public Service Commission which regulates our power utilities to allow um, larger groups like American Electric and uh, First Energy Corps to um, set up you know, a certain amount of solar energy and they would be able to um, kind of increase rates slightly to, to make up for that cost by 18 cents. So some of the lashback today in the House, and we've seen this in other committees too, if you followed our energy reporter Brittany Patterson's work, um, 
there is, you know, what about the people that aren't covered by the solar energy? Are they going to have to pay, you know, 18 cents more a month? But still, that, that's a bit. Um, so there were amendments uh, made to try and keep that from happening, to, um, you know, put more of a toll on the utility company. Um, there were also amendments about, you know, whether the solar energy uh, products and everything that goes into them should be only made in America. So just that kind of um, resistance. Those kinds of amendments failed. There was an amendment from the judiciary, the epitome that came through just to kind of clean it up. Um, and a few other things, but ultimately the bill uh, excels to or advances to third reading tomorrow. Okay, terrific. And w one other thing, the insulin bill, House Bill 4543. That was actually in the Senate side, but you've been following that. What happened uh, today in the Banking and Insurance Committee? Yep, so the bill, after it passed the House, almost unanimously minus four votes, um, was sent to Banking and Insurance and Finance. And Banking and Insurance today, kind of after there were a few rumors that the bill uh, wouldn't ever be scheduled. It was scheduled, it was heard this afternoon, um, but it was quickly referred to the Health Committee. Uh, the Finance Committee reference still stands, but um, you know, the Health Committee could waive that, it could not, it, it might not make it out of the session. Okay, we'll continue to follow it. Thanks, Emily. Um, Dave, the governor had a signing today for the Born Alive bill. Tell us about it. That's right. That's the, um, it would call on doctors to use reasonable medical judgment in the event of an, uh, a fetus surviving an abortion. We've been following this all along. He was backed by Republicans and uh, members of West Virginians for Life. We'll throw it to a clip, clip really quickly and then come back and wrap this all sure. up. So today, we're going to put a stake in the sand that says, for us, for us at least, we stand for life and we stand for the right stuff. Now, these notes are great, but, but at the end of the day, they don't really matter to me. Because you know where I stand, and you know what my heart is all about. And uh, for crying out loud, you know, at some point in time, we've got to stand for common sense. And, you know, if I had my way, you know, I could just write up here in a second that I stand for life in all cases, all the time. You know, but this is standing for life of the born. You know, it is just unbelievable to tell you the truth, that we have to do such a thing, but at the same time, you know, we should be really proud. And Suzanne, of course, you know, Democrats criticized this bill. They said it didn't accomplish anything. There's already laws on the books to protect newborns. Uh, they, in the end, most of the Democrats wound up voting for this bill. Should also mention that uh, on the federal level, a similar piece of legislation died just last week. So, but here, uh, it's now law. All right, Dave Mistich, Emily Allen, thank you both. Thank you. Tomorrow in the legislature today, we'll review the status of multiple criminal justice reform bills in a special report and follow-up discussion with the Secretary of the Department of Military Affairs and Public Safety. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.